Welcome to Off Code, the show where we ignore the cultural codes and have real and intriguing conversations regarding the Black community and ways we can move forward to human flourishing. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Off Code. I am Monique Dusan. And I am Kevin Briggins, and we are back with another episode. Uh, Mo, I'm really excited about this one because this is one, this is somebody I've been following for a long time, and I'm excited to have her on. Yes, we have Kimmy Katiti with us, and we are going to be talking about critical race theory. And much like me, she also upheld the critical world, critical theory worldview, and you know saw the world through that lens, and then said, "Hey, there is something off about this." So I'm looking forward to, like you, really digging into her story and understanding, you know, what was it that brought her out of critical race theory. She um, is Ugandan and has lived in the States. I would think, I think it's eight years, maybe nine. Um, but just wondering, like, what is her perspective in, you know, being an African who has immigrated into America and, you know, get her perspective on race. But she's also lived in numerous other countries in Africa. And so, you know, we tend to say that, race is not or racism isn't just something that shows up the same everywhere you know what does it look like in various places so you ready to bring her on yep let's do it let's do it well hello there ma'am thank you so much for having me y'all um thank you monique uh monique you definitely were a voice that i i needed in the the heat of 2020 when things are going crazy um, so I've been following uh, Center for Biblical Unity for a while as well. And thank you, Kevin, for having me on. I'm excited to get into it with y'all. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Well, OK, before we even like d- jump into critical race theory and all that, just tell us about yourself. Who are you for anyone who doesn't know? Yeah, I'm an artist. I'm from Uganda. Uh, like Monique said, I lived in Uganda when I was a child, Tanzania, South Africa, uh, during high school. Um, this was around the late 2000s, like 2006 to 2013. And I moved to the States in 2013, have been pursuing the arts ever since, working in the music industry, uh, painting, and just doing anything expressive, really. So that's kind of me in a nutshell. That's awesome. I did not realize that you lived in South Africa. What part? I lived in Pretoria. Okay. I lived in Cape Town. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Yes. How how long? I was there for four and a half years. Okay. Yeah. Yes. And now I won't won't give the name of the city that you live in, but we actually, you actually live in the city that I lived in for, gosh, 20 years. That's so yes. It is. I'm curious to compare notes because South Africa and racism. And the United States, I, I yeah, I want to get into that with you for sure. That's a yes. really cool fact to know. Yes, yeah. yes, I'm, yes. I'm just I'm just here just to observe. This is this is y'all. y'all. <laughs> Stop playing. Stop playing. Okay, so um, why did you begin creating content on critical race theory? Oh man, where do we begin? Um, Girl, begin at the so beginning. It's okay. Let's, let's begin at the beginning for sure. I think. My my main frustration was that I was beginning to get swept into language that I didn't understand. Um, this was around like, 
you know, I came to the United States in 2013 and really started getting into college like 2014 through to 2017. Um, adopted a very, you know, a very pessimistic worldview. I'm sure you can relate. Um, where being black and crossing all intersectionalities that were not cis, uh, straight, white, male is like, you know, basically your fortune is ruined. You're not going to be as successful as anyone else. And, you know, you slowly adopt that worldview. But um, over time, and I probably will get into this later, I started to break out of that mindset because I found that it was, you know, kind of clashing with scripture. So I separated and kind of broke away from that mindset. And in 2020, um, I was extremely frustrated with people performing to sort of appease me, especially a lot of white folks, um, just doing a lot of strange things out of guilt. And I was very uncomfortable for that. And I had no idea how to um, put that into words, the frustration that I felt. And so um, 2021, I, I was, I realized the toxicity all. I realized that so many people were kind of going to the extreme end of this ideology. And I aired out my thoughts in a video, this is why I hate CRT in, I believe, April 2021. And it wasn't, I, I wasn't coming from the view of someone who's an expert. I'm just coming from someone who's sharing their experience and their frustration. And while I was cooking dinner, I was like, I just got to say something because I feel like even as a black woman, um, my voice isn't being heard um in my own circle so yeah that was the start i was just watching that video today thinking <laughs> the the alarm went off for your meatloaf and i was like oh she didn't burn that meatloaf <laughs> i was gonna bring that up because i went back and watched it today too uh, yeah, yeah, yeah no meatloaf was good it was perfect yeah yeah so you you mentioned that you saw things that clashed with scripture yeah. were you raised in the church almost a kind of a little bit. Um, I was raised Anglican, and I don't know if you're familiar with the Anglican faith, but it's I am. traditional. Were mm -hmm. you Anglican as well? I am not, but someone okay. very, very, very close to me is Anglican. And okay. so I've been to numerous services and have a pretty decent understanding of the Anglican tradition. Don't see them as, you know, not being Christian, see them definitely as part of the Christian faith and yeah. Um, just, yeah, a different um, stream or tradition. But yes. Yeah. So I grew up, I grew up Anglican, went to church services, which were, um, you know, they provided a kind of basic understanding of scripture. But no, I didn't really have the pressure to live a very Christian lifestyle, if that makes sense. It was kind of a blend of secular and Anglican. Um, but at, when I was in high school, around 14, that's when I really gave my life to the Lord, because um, I went to a quite Christian high school in South Africa. Um, so that's that's when I really started walking with the Lord pretty closely. And eventually, you know, college kind of, you know, muddied that a little bit. But my 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 rooting in faith brought me back to what's true because I had lost a certain peace that I used to have when I was a teenager. Wow, that's so interesting. I think coming from one, just a different culture or overall and then um being raised outside of what i would consider traditional protestantism um and now experiencing or having conversations around race and that last sentence that you said about not having that peace like yeah. there's something that 
you know, I, I think I also experienced in coming out of CRT, but my, my journey was much different. Um, but there is a conversation of peace. And, mm-hmm. you know, you mentioned, um, you know, white people wanting to do certain things for you and now they acting funny and trying to make sure that you're okay. And it, it becomes definitely a ministry of works for Many people, I would say, whatever your skin color is, the critical social theories overall, not just critical race theory, um, can become a, a quote unquote ministry of works that you're constantly working to um, do not just the right thing, but that which can make you seem righteous within yeah. society. And when you get a group of people who are deemed the bad ones, the oppressors, or things like that, their level of work can be different than the level of work for a person of color. But people don't always take time to really look at, you know, how does this make me feel? Mm-hmm. What Am I losing my peace around this? Is mm-hmm. there... Um, is there a conflict with how the scriptures tell me that I should participate with someone based on skin color or um, how should we, how should we participate with someone just based on the fact that they're another image bearer? So yeah, Yeah. a lot of good things. Kevin, you look like you want to say something. Yeah. So I mentioned, I went back and looked at those original videos again, because I mean, I found them, I found you and I found those videos probably shortly after you put them out. Um, Because like I say, I found Monique. She was a voice that I needed um, because of things that was happening in my life and in our church. And because of my YouTube algorithms, boom, it, it, it brought you up. And so I went back and listened just to refresh my, my memory on the things you said earlier. And you said this, you realized there was no superhero coming. Mm-hmm. And so you had to speak up. Tell me about that. Why do you feel like you had to speak up? I was in a mentality where I really, I, I was really hoping for at the time. And I know we really shifted from COVID mentality to like, we're, we're easing out of that, but it was a very desperate times call for des- desperate measures type of season. And um, I, I felt like a lot of people were talking about critical race theory, uh, you know, but at the same time in my world, like, among my peers, among my friends, I just felt like there was, I was hoping for someone to talk to them to kind of get, you know, to help them see the light. Like I didn't have to like expose my real beliefs. And that's when I realized like, no, maybe I feel this way very strongly because I am supposed to say something. Um, and so, yeah, that's that's where the imagery of, of a superhero um, not waiting on a superhero to save us or to speak for us like god uses us like god sometimes prompts us by putting these uh issues on our heart so strongly maybe more strongly than others because he might want us to be the one to provoke certain conversations to start certain conversations so yeah yeah no that's good um and i, I completely understand that people think i like saying these things they think i like having these conversations i do not <laughs> I wish there was someone else to do it. But like you say, it's when it's on your heart and you see the need for it to be said and nobody is saying it, or at least in your circles, it's like, okay, I have to speak up. I have to say something. I can't be silent. Um, Right. Even though it is that pressure for people to not to know your true feelings and thoughts, because this is fear of being 
you know, ostracized and pushed out. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, no, I just to let you know, I appreciate you speaking out in your voice. And I even I even saw my YouTube comment from like April 2021. And I was encouraging you and thanking you for speaking out. Oh, um, thank you. Yeah. And uh, of course, I got attacked for that. Um, really? So. <laughs> yes. <What? laughs> and the, the comment sections are rough. You know? Yeah. YouTube streets. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. 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 Um, you know, um, I'm sorry, Kevin. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Um, the the fact that you know you were you were saying that you didn't you didn't want to wait you couldn't wait for a superhero to come that you know there may not be a superhero but that you can use your voice i think it's so important to hit on that because there may be people watching here who are confused who are conflicted who are just like you know i'm not really sure what to think or what to believe and they're waiting for someone to come along with that you know, the right words or um, they're waiting for someone to come along and tell them what to do. Or they might just be watching and, you know, be like, man, these people are crazy or whatever. I think your voice is important because it reminds us that, you know, the black voice isn't just a monolith. The black voice doesn't just have to go this way, nor do we have to wait for the right person to come along to rescue us and to tell us where to go, that there is a way that um, we can think about things that is not necessarily in line with culture, but that is in line with scripture. And that's the goal. The goal is to keep our minds and our hearts in line with scripture. And so this is why I'm glad we're having this conversation because there we get to present another way of thinking about race in yeah. this current moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, so good. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I really, really, really was blessed by everything you had to say. You definitely gave me a lot of cu- courage. Um, and I, I was so, I was confused. I was like, Hey, I should feel really happy that people are, you know, buying products because they want to support black businesses or, um, you know, asking me to review things because I'm black and they want to make sure it's in the sensitive tone. But I wasn't really, it was frustrating. Like if, if you're going to that extent through like you're talking about righteousness and, you know, works-based performance, then I should feel like, okay, this is accomplishing something. But instead it would make me more frustrated. And I wasn't sure if it was because I felt like people weren't doing enough or if it was just, absolutely the wrong sort of worship i really couldn't tell but if you are watching this and you feel like you know all this performance and people walking on eggshells is not helping you at all with your peace it's not making life any better than you know it might be an indication that maybe there is a better way to talk about race oh i agree completely you know i think um one of the something that you said reminded me of tokenism yeah. You know, it's like people want to come to you to get reviews. Um, my ministry partner, Krista, just released a blog a couple of weeks ago that said, which BIPOC, Black, Indigenous, people of color voices should I listen to? And it, it was sparked because on Twitter, someone tagged me in a post that was saying, oh, Monique is a good um, Black voice for you to listen to. Well, it's kind of like... Why are what is what is your motivation behind listening to a black voice? Right. Should not we be listening to truth, regardless of what the color of that person's skin is? Um, 
And in, in you saying, you know, well, they wanted me to review something or they want to buy something because they want to support black business and all of that. It's like, well, is it only because of the color of my skin? Do you not see value in anything else, but you're just going to come to me because of the color of my skin? To, to me, there's something about that that just strikes me as like, I'm, I'm more than the color of my skin. Like we don't want to yeah. participate in this tokenism um, yeah. mentality that I personally feel is happening within, within culture at this moment. As long as you are um, the right color skin and the right sex. So if you are a black woman, then, you know, you're elevated to the top. There's something special about being a black woman, regardless of your mentality or morality. Yep. Speak hey. about it. Hey, twerk, twerk for votes. Oh, uh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but but that's that's the exact thing. That's mm-hmm. as long as you are considered oppressed. So this woman who and I forgot her name now, um, yeah. who the is senator from Rhode Island. Yeah, the mm-hmm. senator from Rhode Island who was twerking on her head for votes, and it's like so you're you're oppressed because you're a black. Um, le- I believe she's lesbian or. Bisexual in the queer scale, Um, queer, yeah. Um, but you're black, queer, female, and so this makes you the most oppressed. And so now people should be running and flocking to you for the quote unquote truth, for your experience, for wisdom and education. But what about your spirit? What about what about your soul? Are you in line and in right standing with God, or? You know, are you going out here and shake your tail yeah. for a vote? Because when you was when I was growing up, shaking your tail meant a whole bunch of other things. But we <laughs> we ain't going to talk about that on today's show. Yeah, it's yeah. <laughs> a lot. Uh, <laughs> Does, but, b- go ahead. No, I'll say be, be honest. Let's let's talk about this. Does, did y'all know there's any black people in Rhode Island? No, I didn't. I ain't going to lie. Gonna, I'm just going to. I didn't know. She might I didn't know. One. Oh, I, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I did not know. But, but no, but Kimmy, I, I've always been curious about how African immigrants view America and race in America. How do you believe being from Africa, you know, traveling around Africa, having an outside view and coming to America? How do you think that helped shape how you view race or how, how or does it make you view race differently than let's say me as an African-American that's born here? Um, this is always a very interesting question because like I personally can't speak for any other African immigrants because from what I've perceived, like everyone has a different experience. True. Even true. people who I could say like our lives were pretty parallel. Like we were in South Africa and Uganda and then like, you know, I happen to end up with the same person in the United States for whatever reason, they tend to have a different experience. So like mine is very much like my own. Um, and from what I've noticed when it comes to race, uh, coming from South Africa, uh, we could start with South Africa. I feel like South Africa has such a, an obvious atrocious history that there is no need to wonder if there is racism. We, we just know that apartheid um, from 1948 to 1990 was absolutely terrible. And so they've moved on to healing. But what I've noticed about America is, for whatever reason, people don't want to stop the sort of awareness phase. 
It's like, let's mm -hmm. become more aware of this. Let's become more aware of racism here, over there, like everywhere. But it's, there's no fine line just yet to hop over to healing. Mm -hmm. I feel like people conflate awareness with healing where they think the more aware I am of racism, that means somehow we're doing something, but I, I, I don't believe that's the case. So I think South Africa was my strongest A and B comparison um, between uh, different type of racial climates, if that makes sense. No, no, it mm. does. And, and that's, that's really good. I, I've, I've felt that way as well. I mean, you put it in perfect words, but yeah, it is almost as if we can't get to the other side of it. You know. Right. It's like, let's look at more, you know, yes. find where more racism is making itself manifest. And, yes. Um, to some extent, we all, un okay, let me not, now I'm speaking for humanity, <laughs> might be wrong, but I feel like we can gauge that humans tend to have biases and prejudice, like, in literally infinite amount of categories. Like, you could be biased towards people who don't, like, we're all wearing glasses, like, people could be like, hey, I'm, I tend to gravitate towards people who wear glasses and that might be unconscious, but I think it comes back to like God being our uh, creator and understanding that we have um, a common kinship and knowing that, you know, prejudice and bias is wrong. And that again, comes back to why I felt like critical race theory or critical social justice wasn't compatible with the word because um, I was just looking at Philippians too. Um, it says in verse three, do not do um, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. So I feel like it's fair enough for Americans to just realize like, hey, we're, we all realize we're brothers and sisters. We're going to do wrong. Racism exists. There's no harm in admitting that. And now we can move on to the healing part. And yeah, so that's that's kind of what drives my frustration with this dialogue. Yeah, yeah, I get it too. Because what's what is about critical race theory? You know, racism doesn't go away. It just uh, it just mutates. It just takes a different form. So we can never get over it, right? And in the, the framework and the ideology of critical race theory, it is simply a continuous, ever going thing that we must continue to do the work, right? Yeah. And we can never, we can never heal. We can never get to, I guess what we're going to talk about later is that, that forgiveness piece, right? Mm -hmm. um, that I, I would love for the day we get to where South Africa is in that healing phase. Um, right. Because th that's what we need more than anything is to heal. Yeah. yeah. Mo, you got something? Yeah, I was going to um, ask if you, when you said that it, it appeared like there was a, a line for South Africa of moving toward healing, Mm -hmm. Were you referring to the, I think it's called the Congress on Racial Reconciliation that happened? Yeah, Truth and Reconciliation Commission. Yeah, that, well, that took a few years, but yeah, that's what I'm referring to. Because it was national, it was, um, it was amnesty-based, so, you know, amnesty was offered to, say, people who worked on behalf of the apartheid regime. Um, and did atrocious things. There was there was a very unique model of accountability and justice that ultimately led the nation towards healing. Um, now, obviously, that doesn't mean everyone's now fixed. Like the country mm -hmm. is absolutely hundred percent fine. No. Oh no, not by any means. Not by any means. But you know, the issue that yes, racism and like very violent acts of 
injustice occurred like that is for sure it's it's written in stone no one has any question about it yeah i think one of the coolest things that um i've participated in being in south africa is um going to robin island yeah have you been i have not no okay robin island um for anyone who doesn't know is one of the and it's probably the most um famous prisons where nelson mandela was held and they've turned it into um, a museum of sorts, but it's uh, um, like a historic site. And so you can take a ferry out and you can tour the island where the, the political prisoners were kept. Other prisoners were, were also there, but uh, there were um, quite a few political prisoners there, Nelson Mandela being one of them. You can... Um, not just toward the island, like on a tram, but you can also go into the prison. You can see his cell. You can see where um, where and how different prisoners were kept and treated based on the color of their skin. White prisoners being treated one way, colored prisoners being treated another way, and then black African prisoners being treated the poorest of um, the three groups. And it it differed in every way, all the way down from the kind of clothes that you got to the bedding that you were allowed to the food rations that you were allowed. White people receiving the majority of that, colors being next, and then Black Africans receiving the least the least amount. But now who are, um, you know, some of the people who actually give some of those tours, except for some of the guards and some of the prisoners who were there together. And so I do think that... Um, you know, their time of reconciliation in South Africa was very unique to their history. And yet, because racism is an issue of sin, it's not just simply this issue of skin color. We still see in South Africa stark um, issues of, of not just partiality, but segregation to a degree where like this is you know you look you go to a township and especially like where I lived on the west coast and um, in the western cape you know you have a black township or you have a colored area where it, it's all colored to live here you might get like one or two white families but it's basically all colored and then you have a place where it's all white and things like that so I know many people will uplift South Africa as being like this model country for racial reconciliation. I want to say, you know, they have done good things. I think they've made some great efforts. And there is a lot of work that is still needed to be done in South Africa. A lot, I would say to a large degree. I think that America, not only um, as far as time goes, is ahead of South Africa in progress, um, but just as far as our mentality goes, we are a lot farther along than the South African context, in my personal opinion. Um, yeah. I was also going to ask, um, in in hearing, you know, your take on South Africa in Uganda, what would you say, because that's one of the places that I have not been, but I will get there. Um, what would you say are the major differences you could see in relation to like racism between Uganda and the States? Yeah, so Uganda is majority um, African. Um, you have Ugandan like tribes, different tribes and groups and ethnicities. Um, 
And then you had the history of uh, British colonialism um, in the area, which that history is mostly vague and violent and obviously very aggressive. Um, there's not a lot of records per se of what happened, but we do understand that, you know, um, in the 1700s, you have some explorers and missionaries that came in and eventually, you know, British started to rule. But uh, we gained independence in 1961. I will say, though, a culture of oppression has not necessarily left. And so um, there are still ethnic differences, albeit like they have decreased a lot, like recognizing different differences between tribes. Um, but a neighboring country uh, has taught us a lot about the fact that you can see someone and see slight physical differences and begin to like get, get like angry at another group. Um, we saw that example in, in Rwanda, right below Uganda, where there was um, a genocide in 94. Um, 800,000 people died in 100 days because of built up tensions. Um, and so, yeah, we might not have a lot of like white on black experience with uh, racism, but you do see people begin to faction out based on very, very minute characteristics. And before you know it, it's a different genre or category of racism where it's like, oh, you have slightly lighter skin or you belong to this tribe or you speak this language. And, you know, if you don't actually actively work on being uh, living in harmony, tensions can build up if you focus too much on the differences. Yeah. And I think that goes to Monique's point of it's a sin issue, right? It's not a yeah. skin issue because it's just racism is a form of tribalism. And we yeah. see tribalism taking form everywhere over the world. You know, um, I, I know one thing we struggle with in the States as blacks in the States, we don't, we oftentimes can't tell the difference between different ethnicities of Africans. But from my experience, Africans tend to be able to tell those differences. Yeah. Um, and in some places, those differences matter. And so yes. uh, that type of tribalism, discrimination, you know, set up setting this group apart from that group, that is just part of the human nature. Yeah. Know? And actually... So. Monique had mentioned um, the categories in South Africa of race, of black, colored, and white, and Asian. Um, you know, you go from being in a certain category in a country to coming to America, and then it's different. It's like mm. your whole racial makeup completely was nonsense, you know? Yes. And then all of a sudden you go into America and it's like, oh, you're just black or white, period. Just goes to show like, differences can arise anywhere but they also mean nothing yes yes completely <laughs> agree i remember um go, moving to south africa and being considered colored and wow. not yeah. not being considered black and yeah. i was like wait what i was blown away because we haven't used the word colored here since yeah what the end of 60s. the 60s early 70s you know yeah. so definitely being colored but then you know the more i lived there being proud to be colored and to be right. considered colored. Um, but, you know, even to Kevin's point about you know, being a black African and where many African-Americans would say, well, they're, they're African as if, you know, it's all just one land, which 
<laughs> that's a whole nother conversation. But, you know, living in South Africa, you can definitely, um, if not necessarily facial features, which I do think that there are subtle differences, but you can hear the difference in native dialect between um, like the Kosas and the Zulus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Completely just different. Yeah. Um, a lot of similarities, but people will let you know, no, I am Kosa. Yeah. No, I am Zulu or yeah. no, I am, you know, whatever. Uh, South Africa has 11 um, national languages. And That's so right. there are there are different tribes that people belong to. And it's really important. It, it doesn't break down into the simple racial categories that we create here in the States. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that that realization to me helps because in the States, we've made it so binary. It's black and it's white. Mm-hmm. I mean, even on the white side, it is, they're different ethnicities. It's not just one thing called white, right? These are, you know, German, even, even when you learn about the history of, of British, of the British, when they settled in the United States, to understand that the British that settled in the South were different than the British that settled in the North. And those cultural differences and those distinctions play out between even today and difference between, between the North and the South in culture, right? Mm-hmm. And so just understand that it's just very, very various different groups of people and that share the same skin color, but they're not the same people group. They're different ethnicities, right? And yeah. so I think that I think that would help a lot of people in America's perspective to understand the world a little bit better than simply saying trying to see it through a lens of black and white. So, absolutely, yeah. And it, yeah, the- it reminds us, like again, sin issue, human issue. Mm-hmm. We're always going to see, you know, differences really. Um, and also the notion of like, it's all kumbaya and very happy in Africa, just because, you know, there's not a lot of white people in like the middle part, there's still cycles of oppression. Um, and I, I feel a lot of people have a very like unrealistic, um, very primitive, like there's truth in being primitive and mm. everything's just fine and dandy. There's no, you know, there's no oppression, nothing like that. I'm like, guys, really, we're all humans at the end of the day. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, That's such a good point, you know, that we are all humans at the end of the day. And I think what critical race theory misses is the fact of what it actually means to be human. You know, as a Christian, I can affirm that all people are created in the image of God, that we have equal dignity, value and worth, and that we are horrifically sinful and in being sinful that plays into how we treat each other we had a mandate from god um before we fell you know Mm -hmm. and how we were supposed to um fill the earth rule and reign you know like these were the things that he spoke but what happened when sin entered the picture yeah it 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 shifted things for us. And so this idea of oppression and how we participate with one another is definitely um is definitely flawed. Yeah. Here's a question. Do you think that the structures of or, or some of the tenets of critical race theory are um being almost like imported from the West? 
into different countries in Africa? Or do you think it's something that is just kind of um, being absorbed through osmosis almost? I have honestly, I couldn't really speak to that because I haven't been in Africa um, in long enough to know if that's actually um, influencing a lot of people in Africa. I have heard a few people say that, maybe a handful of people, uh, not more than five. So I don't know if that's really like, you know, <laughs> helpful evidence, but no, personally, I couldn't really, um, I couldn't really say to be, to be honest. Well, thank you. I appreciate your honesty. Just not making something up. Cause that would yeah. be no fun. Um, <laughs> you know, having, you know, people that I still know in South Africa and having upheld this mindset when I was in South Africa, I can see you know, at least in the Western Cape and in the the ministries that I worked with in the Western Cape, this mindset just growing and growing and growing. People um, wanting to uphold things that they see in like books like Pedagogy of the Oppressed, um, you know, wanting to uphold Marxist thoughts and and promote um, socialist or communist ideology. So I personally can see it growing, but I haven't looked into things like like Zambia. Like when I traveled in Zambia, I I don't see it there as much. Although I can see, um, you know, different forms of oppression. It just isn't white on black oppression or black. You know what I mean? It, it's mm-hmm. it shows up differently. But I think that that goes again back to the sin nature. Yeah. Um, uh, Kevin, were you going to say something? No, go ahead. I just wanted to say, um, it seems as though once people drift further and further away from, um, a religious, like operating system, a friend of mine refers to this as having an operating system. Like, you know, what is Mm -hmm. your morality based on? What standards are you living by? And I feel like the more people reject that and say like, that's not real that has nothing to do with me. I can live however I want for whatever reason, Marxism or any sort of like mutated form of critical theory just swoops in and gives people a framework through which to understand right or wrong, good and evil. And I feel like that's what tends to happen with uh, people noticing oppression, noticing things going wrong in the world and they have rejected a religious operating system, say Christianity, understanding God created us. It's like this just swoops in and takes people off their feet and they don't realize that they're still searching. They're filling that hole with this new morality, with these new standards um, and this new call to perform certain works for righteous, uh, righteous standing with whomever. Um, hmm. No, that's yeah. that is that is definitely true. I've I've seen that in people. Uh, I mean, we see it. It's all throughout the secular world that yeah. they're taking hold of this, and it really is giving them a religious framework to a degree. Yeah. Um, John McWhorter talks about it a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I've heard um, Douglas Murray talk about it a lot. Uh, there is this sense of religious. Like we've talked about it, a sense of works righteousness mm-hmm. and a, a moral framework, and if and it's, it's almost puritanical, right? It's almost yeah. like they're going to, you know, they want to drown the witches and burn the witches, you mm-hmm. know? Um, yeah. But they claim that they're the intolerant ones. They're the 
awakened ones and all of these things, but it's like you simply just gravitated to a a, yeah. a new religion to a degree, you know? Yeah. So. And wherever there's no, wherever that fades or decreases, even if it's, I think in South Africa, and they did have a lot of that foundation from uh, the South African Communist Party or the ANC, they were very, mm -hmm. they had very Marxist roots. So I think people are just kind of picking up where they left off with that. And and at the same time, forgetting that people like Nelson Mandela did hold to Christianity. Uh, Archbishop Desmond Tutu um, was very adamant about forgiveness, obviously because of his Christian roots. Now that that era is passing away and people are also becoming more secular, wherever it is across the world, as long as there is that rejection of a standard and the Lord and the Christ, Christ coming to save us, I tend to see like people try to fix that with a Marxist sort of understanding mm -hmm. of the world. Um, yeah. So wherever you go, as long as that's the case, it, it seems to happen that way. I don't know how, what you guys think. I, I think that, you know, people are definitely wanting to fix this, even if it's not with Marxism, they mm -hmm. want to fix it with some other version of what they see is good, true, and beautiful, but they are bypassing the author of the good, the true, and the beautiful. And, yeah. you know, love Mandela and Desmond Tutu and, you know, the uh, the people who wanted to really pay way. And we can look at those with very real eyes, the same way that I can look at Dr. King with very real eyes and say, these men were also very flawed. Yeah, they were very, very flawed. And we don't, you know, put people up on on a pedestal. And I'm not saying that that's what you're doing. But I'm just yeah. saying that in in looking at people, no matter where they fall, yeah. we will always fall short if we are not looking at God as the person who gives us the standard that you were talking about, the standard for our morality. Mm -hmm. What is the standard by which we will live our lives? Yeah. That standard has to be the word of God. Yeah. Um, you know what? I uh, Krista, who's sitting over here, actually running the show. I don't think we ever mentioned Krista on, on our show. We don't. But thank you, Krista, for running the show. Um, <laughs> she said, how did she get into critical race theory yes can you did, answer that for us like yeah. how did you first come to say you know i think that this is this is the way in which i should go we're gonna take it all the way back to the beginning so we can make sure yeah. that we actually know how you got there absolutely okay so i just want to say like critical race theory is such a broad term um, if we're talking about all of like, there were a lot of legal studies and this was something that arose from the seventies, uh, you'll have different people like Ed Uzinski explaining that critical race theory was important to help people move away from the segregation era in the South and understand how to treat people with dignity, so on and so forth. So there's so many, there's such a broad it, world to it. Um, and so I like to crunch down when I explain how I developed a CRT mindset uh, by saying, you know, critical social justice, because this was more of the active, um, you know, correction of injustices in day-to-day -day life. I, when I started 
going to college in Los Angeles, um, that is really where I began to, how can I say, receive or at least get some ideologies downloaded into my worldview without my consent. So I learned through different classes such as symbolism, sociology, um, classes about uh, film, so many like education, you know, opportunities to learn about different things. It was always kind of, it crept in here and there, if that makes sense. And I remember one vivid, vivid memory was sitting um, on, it was Halloween, it was raining and I was in a symbolism class and they were explaining how um, uh, Antonio Gramsci or Gramsci, I'm not sure how you pronounce his last name, uh, developed this theory of the hegemony and how there's a certain dominant group in society uh, that in America being the, the cis hetero white male and how the world is kind of the, the worldview that we hold is from that perspective. So we end up always serving the hegemony and they enjoy a certain privilege that other people, other minorities don't enjoy. And I just, I was, you know, I was a little bit resistant towards any, any new ideas, but that moment on that day, I was like, okay, I believe this. I guess this is true because I can't really fight against such knowledge. At the same time, in the same class, symbolism, I was learning a lot about um, the white gaze in film and or the male gaze as well, how a lot of films are portrayed from the perspective of males and therefore we sort of develop these weird biases that put male at, males at the top, et cetera, et cetera. So there's a bit of, you can relate to it due to your experience, um, but then there's extra information added on that over time you begin to realize you're noticing so many negative, cynical things about the world, such as microaggressions was a big thing that I learned about and I started to notice more and more opportunities for microaggressions to occur. And this is just through kind of academic study, more books that you read, you start to learn that, you know, uh, there's one study in, in uh, critical race theory, an introduction, where um, they, they compare car sales between dealerships and white people and dealerships and black people and how black people were being sold cars at a higher, you know, higher cost, higher price. And so you learn a lot of those things and then you go out into the world and you see them take place. You see certain injustices or certain um, privileges like play out in real time. Like someone not opening a door for you or someone scooting over, you start to analyze it and think, well, maybe they scooted over because subconsciously, you know, they didn't want to sit next to a black person or they were following their bias and wanted to be in a white group. Before you know it, by the time you graduate, you're completely riddled with this type of thinking and hyper-awareness. And so that's that's kind of the short story of how I adopted this critical uh, race theory mindset. Wow. I, I don't think that it is um, just a coincidence that it, it was brought on in university. You know, I think that um, our universities are definitely... Um, geared toward creating that type of mindset within, you know, their students, which is horrible. You know, I'm all for people being able to understand like, hey, this is critical race theory, but these are all of the other options that are also available. Um, 
but instead it just comes out as this is right, walk in it no yeah and plus you're you're getting merits off of that you have to kind of base your your projects or your papers off of what you learn so the more you apply these um ideas like the better grades you get the more favor you have with professors so in a way it's all it's its own systemic thing where <laughs> like the more pessimistic and grievance based you are the higher up the ranks you go the more mm-hmm. pats on the back you get let's you want to keep going kev no no go ahead i was just saying wow and that just just the, the that system that is just uh creating and rewarding the more grievances you have the more pessimistic mm-hmm. you have the more you're i mean you're just encouraged to be that way that's yeah. that's that's that, if, if if universities are creating it and putting that out that's that's a horrible thing to be a factory of we're a factor of pessimism yeah. and grievances right wow <laughs> yeah it's very sobering it you is know? it is in looking or or considering your christian worldview yeah you know, we heard that you were um raised anglican and things like that but how do you see scripture shaping your views on race justice and unity scripture has helped me out a lot um and it's more powerful than you know simply following rules um it's really about walking it out trusting god in obedience where you see a certain um command or um you know a way that we're supposed to live out our lives there's one thing to just read it and know it and it's another thing to really obey that and see what happens are you more frustrated or are you more peaceful do you have a greater sense of uh, peace? Do you feel the fruit of the spirit flowing? Like, what's the fruit? And for me, the more I have laid down my flesh and mean like, okay, I'm angry at this world. I am frustrated that, you know, especially when I was in my critical mindset, um, the more I experienced a lot of anxiety, depression, helplessness, hopelessness, to a very like debilitating degree. I was very, very depressed, very, very frustrated and just could not get ahead the way I was seeing a lot of my like white peers getting ahead. Um, But it wasn't until I felt a strong conviction of the Lord to be like, my word is pretty clear about forgiveness. You're offended and you need to forgive. And I felt like because the Lord broke that down um, in just those very basic terms, I didn't have an excuse. I didn't have to say like, Lord, okay, no, this is an incident of racism and we live in this unjust society. No, it was just like Jesus said, forgive 77 times or 70 times seven. And um, and also, you know, the word in other areas of scripture encourages us not to hold offense. I just obeyed those two commands. And from that, there came that peace, but there also came a certain like way of, other people noticing that piece and kind of environments shifting because of that. Um, And also Philippians 2, which I read earlier, verse 3, uh, count others as more significant as yourselves. If you're holding a critical race theory mindset and you believe that you should now show discrimination to counteract like historic discrimination as a minority, then how does that command, uh, like how can it coexist 
with this otherworldly and secular command to treat others as better than yourself. Basically, the opposite of, of trying to put someone down or disadvantaging others to correct. Um, so when you follow out those you know, commands, you follow out in obedience what the scripture tells us to do, gauge the fruit and see what, what happens, what is the A and B of that. And for me, once I obeyed the scripture and lived it out, walked it out, I experienced peace like nothing else that was so solid, that was very unshakable. And that, again, just brings me to the fact that the Lord knows what he's saying. He doesn't overlook racism. He's not just giving it a pass. He really cares for you and your well-being, and the well-being of others, the salvation of others. So, yeah. Yeah. Amen to that. And yes. I will say this. Um, so I never went down the woke path. And the reason I never went down the woke path is because of what you just said. I was aware of that and what I was hearing just I couldn't I couldn't make sense of it. Right. I couldn't I couldn't put it into my Christian worldview and make it work. Right. It. And so it just never said something just always seemed wrong with it, even, even when I didn't know what it was, just what people were prescribing as the solution just came across as wrong. Right. Um, and I just didn't have a peace with it. And, yeah. and so I completely relate to exactly what you're saying, because it is. And that's the beauty. That's the beauty of scripture. That's the beauty of what God has given us that shows like the supernatural work of forgiveness yeah. and how it is counter to our human nature to want to rebel against whatever we believe is the, the authority. Um, but that's not even how I would say African-Americans, Blacks in America, the history of us and the history being rooted in Christianity, the critical race theory um, take now goes against even our own hmm. history and culture, right? You know, we didn't grow up thinking this way. We didn't come, we didn't make it through those hard times with a critical theory mindset. We made it through those hard times with a mindset of, of a Christian worldview and understanding that number one, forgiveness was key. You know, God has forgiven us. We forgive others. And that ultimately God brings justice. And Amen. that's what yeah. got us through tough times. Right. So, um, yeah. yeah. So I really appreciate you kind of saying that in almost, I think that's a good place for us to, to wrap up at a good place for us to land is, is, is that good word from Kimmy? Yes. <laughs> yes. Thank you so much for taking time out to be with us. Girl, you so close. We need to get coffee. I don't know if you drink Ooh. coffee. But we can. I love coffee. I'm just saying. <laughs> oh, no. I saw her video. She loves coffee. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, but yes, would definitely love to. Thank you so much just for being with us, for hanging out, for sharing the wisdom and, you know, sharing your experience. I, I definitely appreciate that. Thank you for having me. I watch the off code, the off code pod podcast. Ooh, words <laughs> were confusing me there, but <laughs> I watch it. I love it. I love what you guys are doing. I love the conversations you're having. It really is. It's it's such a blessing. So again, thank you so much for for talking to me today. Yeah. No. Thanks for being thank here. You. Thank thank you for your voice and being yes. the one to speak out. Yes. 
All right. Well, this is another episode of Off Code. We will catch you in a couple weeks. Put your thoughts and comments down below in the comment section. Make sure to like Off Code, share it with a friend, subscribe to the YouTube channel, get the word out. We appreciate you. God bless. Bye.